the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called Something Beautiful for God, discussing what the Bible says about humanity, sexuality, marriage, and procreation. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Today, we're going to be taking a look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. We'll be talking today about how God made us male and female. Last week we talked about the image of God, being made in the image of God. Both men and women created with equal dignity and worth, equally bearing the image of God. Today we're going to be talking about the second part of the verse and bringing out the fact that God created us with equal dignity and with distinction and difference, and that both of these things are beautiful and good. So let's turn our attention to Genesis chapter 1, and let's read just verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Today's message is a beautiful one, but one that may also be challenging for us in a whole host of different ways. Some of that is because while being male and female is something that we can express and articulate from a very young age. I mean, my daughter, pretty much from the time that she learned to speak, knew the difference between boys and girls and loved to point them out to us whenever we were in public places. She'd be like, that's a girl, da-da. That's a boy, da-da. That's a girl, da-da. And I'd be like, very good. You're doing a great job, Elsie. And she was right like 99% of the time when she would say those sorts of things and lead us to 1% of difficult interactions when that happened. But most of the time, even as a very young child, she knew the difference between boys and girls, between men and women. So it's something that is simple and basic enough for children to be able to understand, but at the same time, it's challenging enough that grown people, at least in this culture, have an incredible difficulty articulating the difference between men and women. If I were to ask you, what's the difference between men and women, you might give me the physical differences between men and women, and that would be accurate, and that would be good, that would be true, but is there anything that those physical differences signify? Is there anything that those represent? Something fundamental about what it means to be a man or a woman? How would you answer the question, what's different between a man and a woman? Is there a difference at all, other than the obvious physical ones? And that gets at the challenge that we're facing today. In our talk about 
male and female, there are, I think, two challenges, two difficulties that we want to seek to avoid, that I want to seek to avoid. The first challenge that we should want to avoid, that I'm going to seek to avoid, is the challenge of stereotyping. I want to avoid any kind of stereotyping about what maleness or femaleness is. There can be stereotypical notions of maleness and femaleness, but the scriptures never give to us a stereotype. Those are things that are created by human beings and therefore not of particular help to us because they're stereotypes. The scripture will always give us an archetype, something that is true throughout all time. Stereotypes can also, in fact, be harmful or destructive. And so it's important for us, it's important for me to try to avoid stereotyping. But there's another problem sort of on the other end of things. The opposite problem to stereotyping is saying too little. Is saying too little about the difference between men and women. When we say too little, we miss the importance of the distinction between men and women and the goodness of God making two sexes, male and female. One Bible teacher puts it this way, without an affirmation of humanity's two-ness, without affirmation of male and female, we create the conditions for widespread cultural identity crisis. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God, male and female? Well, I've been thinking about this for more than a year as a part of the preparation for this particular sermon series. I had this sermon series in mind more than a year ago, and I've been doing a great deal of considering and reading about all of it, and I have been thinking about it for many more years before that, and I've been thinking about it with great intensity with this week in particular, and I feel as though I'm only beginning to grasp at something, in part because it's hard for our culture to understand these differences, and so it feels like I'm just beginning to grasp at something that will lead me and us to something deeper and more profound and more beautiful and more mysterious. But because I'm just grasping at the beginnings, let me admit to you my own ignorance at the outset today, and let me tell you two things. First is I'm going to seek to create a biblical picture of maleness and femaleness today, as always, but I'll just point it out today. One of the tasks of all Christians is to explore God's word to determine whether what I say is correct because as long as I'm saying things in agreement with God's word, you need to, we need to listen and follow those things. But if I'm saying things not in agreement with God's word, then we shouldn't. So explore the scriptures to determine if what I'm saying is true. I also want to say that I'm going to be relying more heavily on other authors and preachers than I usually do. I did that throughout my preparation process. And most specifically, in this message, I have adapted some of what Chris Gansky has written on this topic, some of what Chris Spano has written on this topic, some of what Jen Swank Shuffle has written on this topic, and some of what Elizabeth Elliot has. And that adaptation makes up this message today. So let's take up the question. What does it mean to be created in the image of God, male and female? Well, I want to talk about how it's mysterious and beautiful, about how it's excellent, how it's glorious, and about how it finds fulfillment in Christ. So let me start by talking about the mystery and beauty of this reality. The difference between men and women is profound and deep and mysterious, and one of the things that reveals that to us is the fact that the scriptures very often, when talking about the difference between men and women, will use poetry. 
Now, I'll show you my Bible, but I'm far away, so this probably is going to mean nothing. I don't know if you can make this out, but if you have your own Bibles or take a look at it on your phones or, uh, or whatever, if you take a look at Genesis chapter 1, most of it is what's called prose, so it's just like two lines like this. When we get to Genesis 127, the, the verse is indented. It's different, it's, and it's kind of parceled out from the rest of the chapter in an indented form, that is to signal to us that Genesis chapter 1 has moved to using poetry here in Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. The Bible uses a poem to speak about the creation of humanity and the creation of male and female. If you continue reading in Genesis If you read in Genesis chapter 2, you will encounter another poem in Genesis 2 verse 23. Let me read you that poem. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. When Adam sees his wife and exclaims the beauty of their distinction and difference, he uses poetry. The early poems in scripture have to, do with, uh, have to do with this beautiful reality that God has created us male and female. And then in Proverbs chapter 30 verses 18 and 19, Solomon, the wisest person to have ever lived, talks about this mysterious reality again and does it in poetic language. Let me read to you Proverbs 30 verses 18 and 19. Three things are too wonderful for me. Four I do not understand the way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a virgin. Do you see how he's using poetry here in Proverbs chapter 30? Now this, again, Proverbs, mostly written by Solomon, the wisest person to ever live. And what he says here is, he's like, here are four things that I don't understand. The first is, an eagle in flight. And human beings will never understand what it's like to experience the marvel of flight as an eagle does. We're not created for that sort of thing. Human beings will never understand how it is that a serpent can move so quickly without any sorts of limbs on a rock. It's something that is unknowable to us because we're not constituted in a way to know that. We will never understand the feeling of being able to be a ship navigating heavy waves in the open sea, because we're not ships. But this last one, the way with a man, the way of a man with a virgin. Now, now that speaks of humanity. And what Solomon is saying is that this incredible mystery of the difference between men and women and how that comes together is something that I cannot, I cannot know or understand. It's a human reality that nonetheless is too deep for Solomon to understand. He says it's too wonderful for him. It's too much for him to understand. The Bible, the Bible speaks of the poetic mystery and brilliance of the difference between men and women and uses poetry to illustrate it, speaking of its glory, its beauty, and the challenge of understanding it. The Bible, when it speaks of men and women, is troubling to people committed to any secular ideology of maleness or femaleness. The Bible will uh, will kind of crash, 
in bits any sort of secular ideology that tries to explain too totally about what it means to be a man or a woman. The Bible speaks of women uh, in wonderful ways. It talks about strong women. Ruth, in Ruth chapter 3, is given 80 pounds of barley that she brings home to her mom in a shawl. She walks a long time with just 80 pounds of barley on her back and then drops it at the feet of her mom. That's some strength there on the part of this biblical woman. Jael pounds a tent peg through the temple of Sisera, putting the final nail in the coffin of the reign of Canaan in the time of Deborah and Barak. She is a warrior. At the same time, women use their strength in a particular way. First Peter uh, 3 says the following. He says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair or the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be of the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that's frightening. You see, both of those pictures of womanhood will smash to bits any kind of purely secular ideology of what it means to be a woman. Likewise, with maleness, men in scripture don't fit into stereotypical categories. The king of Israel, the great king David, is known for, yes, slaying tens of thousands in battle, but also for his harp playing and poetry writing. And how do biblical men use their strength? Well, they lay it down for the sake of others, particularly for their wife. Poetry and mystery, both getting at an essential reality that men and women are different utterly equal in dignity, different in makeup. And that difference, that distinction between men and women is important. It is, in fact, excellent that men and women are different. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now more from Pastor Derek in our series called Something Beautiful for God, discussing humanity, sexuality, marriage, and procreation. God created maleness and femaleness before the fall, before there was sin in the world, as a part of the perfection of the world without sin. Being gendered, therefore, is not a result of sin. It's a result of the creative insight of the Lord God, and it's excellent. All throughout the creation narrative, we're told of different pairs being made in different but complementary sorts of ways. That's the story of Genesis chapter 1. Light is separated from darkness. The waters above are separated from the waters below. Land is separated from the sea. And then finally, men and women are separated. These differences are essential and complementary and an excellent part of the way that God created the world. Here's something that N.T. Wright says about all this. The beauty and brilliance of God's creation is that diverse, unlike things are made to unite and create dynamic wholes which generate more and more life and beauty through their relationships. It's the uniting of male and female that's the climax of this. 
In fact, Peter Jones, who is a scholar of ancient paganism, says that one chief way that you can distinguish between the pagan mindset and the biblical mindset is through one and two, through what he calls oneism and twoism. The pagan mindset was one that stressed oneism. Now, what that meant is that there was no real distinction between the material world and the deities that created that material world in ancient paganism. In fact, In one of the popular uh, ancient Near Eastern creation myths, the world is said to have come come into being because there were two deities that were fighting in like heavenly realms. One of them lost, was killed, and had his body thrown down from the heavenly realms. That body became earth. In the Epic of Gilgamesh, that's how earth came to be. It was the body of a dead deity. There was no real distinction between the created world and those forces or powers that brought them into existence. And because of that, one, oneness, is the thing that was always stressed in pagan spirituality. In biblical spirituality, however, distinction and difference is a fundamental reality. God is distinct and different from his creation. Without God speaking, matter doesn't exist. And as he speaks, the creation that is being made is different from the creator who is making it. The matter that makes up the world is distinct and different from the God who made it. Fundamentally good, but different. And therefore, the pagan impulse was always to push on the sameness of male and female. It is biblical to note the difference, the distinct nature, the complementary nature of man and woman. Culture today, in the the sort of Western culture in which we live, will stress the equality of men and women, and that is very, very good. Don't miss that. Culture today will stress the fundamental equality of men and women, and that is very, very good good. But culture today will stress the equality of men and women through trying to stress an essential sameness between men and women, by trying to eliminate difference between men and women. And this is very, very bad. It is very good to testify to the perfect, the total equality of men and women. It is very bad to try to do away with distinctions and differences between them because men, you are different from women and this difference is excellent and God-ordained. And women, you are different from men and this difference is excellent and God-ordained. Sexual complementarity of male and female is basis bonding. The complementary structure of male and female means that a similarity in difference leads to a uniquely intimate relationship. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, God says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. That word suitable means a like opposite for him. A like opposite for him. Relationality is built into our very bodies Because the bodies of men and women literally fit together. In their very anatomy and materiality, we were created with relationship, communion, and intimacy in mind. God made us different for the purpose of uniting. And when a husband and wife are joined together, when they fit together, creation takes place. A new human being can be generated. And it's because of our difference that this can take place. This difference is what is fundamentally good. The difference, therefore, is not made for competition or for recrimination, 
or for hatred of the other, but it's made for fruitfulness and beauty. This is why God made us different. There are certain times when I think certain artists can pick up on some of this reality. I don't know if you've ever heard the song, Such Great Heights, by the Postal Service, I think. It starts out, I am thinking it's a sign that the freckles in our eyes are mirror images, and when we kiss, they're perfectly aligned. I have to speculate that God himself did make us into corresponding shapes, like puzzle pieces. That's true. We're made different and complementary, like puzzle pieces that fit together. And this is a part of the excellence of God's creation. More even than it just being excellent, it's glorious. If you want a challenge, read 1 Corinthians chapter 11 later on this afternoon. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that man is the glory of God, that woman is the glory of man. It's difficult to understand, but it's beautiful and contains an important truth. Sexed bodies, male and female, have their own glory. According to 1 Corinthians 11, nature teaches us that to nurture our masculinity and femininity by cultivating a culturally appropriate public appearance that clearly identifies us as male and female, that this is good. That's why the scriptures say a woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. That's Deuteronomy 22 verse 5. Tim Keller notes that male and female have unique non-interchangeable glories. Men see things and do things that women cannot. Women see things and do things that men cannot. Sex was created by God to be a way to mingle these strengths and glories within a lifelong covenant of marriage. Marriage is the most intense, though not only place where this reunion of male and female takes place in human life. Male and female reshape, learn from, and work together. This is glorious Women, you were made to be women, and that is not just excellent, it's glorious. And men, you were created to be men, and that's not just excellent, it's glorious. And you bring God glory, both male and female, as people that live for God, but there is unique glory that men bring by virtue of their maleness, and women bring by virtue of their femaleness, and this is beautiful, and a part of the good created reality. Now, when you try to parse that stuff out, that's when it starts getting really challenging. If you're looking today for a list of like, what are the things that I can do to make me a man? Or what are the things that I can do to make me a woman? I don't have a list of those things for you to do. What I do have is mystery and beauty. What I do want to do is read two sections from two different authors that I do think are mysterious and beautiful. That both get at an aspect of first maleness and and secondly femaleness. The first one is by an author named Anthony Esselin. As he talks about masculinity, he says that one essential aspect of being truly masculine is the willingness to see oneself as dispensable. He says men who see themselves as dispensable are the truly indispensable ones. Men who see themselves as being willing to lay down their life for others, most specifically for their wife, these are the truly indispensable ones. He lays out a time when Midian came and took over Israel and uses that situation as an illustration for part of what it means to be a man. He says, how do you choose an army to defeat a people as swarming as the Midianites? Simple. You recruit as few men as possible. 
and you employ no known tactics of war, trusting in the Lord is never safe. So the Lord himself thins out Gideon's army by removing from it all those who think to save their skins. That cuts it by more than two-thirds, leaving Gideon with 10,000 men. Still too many for the Lord, who wishes to show Israel that the battle is his, not man's. So he devises a strange and amiable way to cut the army to the bone. Bring them down to the water. He says, everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shall thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. Those who lap like dogs are taken. Everybody else is sent home. Gideon now has 300 men. What are we to make of this? A convenient but otherwise meaningless device? Not so. Note the care with which the many minister to themselves. And note note the dog-like eagerness of the few. The true men. The true men who thought their lives would soon be dust are the most like happy children, boyishly ready to fight, never mind the delicacies. And when that night they sweep upon the Midianite camp, each bearing a pitcher to smash and a trumpet to blow and a sword for the enemies pitched into confusion, they rally by crying the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Not their own names do they cry, but the names of their generals. They are the dispensable 300, the remnant, the stump of an army. They are the naked boy against an armored giant. They are a half-mad prophet against the cosmopolitan Jezebel. They are the old stutterer against the emperor and god of Egypt, a babe in swaddling clothes against all the powers of darkness. You see, there's beauty and poetry in the way that Esselin writes, and what he's getting at is a fundamental masculine reality, the call to lay oneself down. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.